So uh, today I want to talk about a topic which I believe is at the root of most of the problems that we have. I don't know if you know the author Larry Crabb. He's written quite a few books. His most famous is called Inside Out. He's a Christian psychologist and he says that there seems to be something wrong with our Christianity. He says that when we have problems, when there's some sort of discontent, uh, we're told to be more devout, pray more, study the scriptures more, be more disciplined, and then somehow that'll solve your problem. And actually all that does is just lay another layer, another burden on an already existing problem. And so we're left feeling inadequate, like we're missing the mark, that we're failing in some way. And so Crabb's saying there's something missing about what we teach in our churches. He says something more fundamental. And he says it's to do with our relationship with God. And what he's saying is that there's this God-shaped vacuum. The Bible calls it a thirst. And the Bible quite often talks about that topic. And there are a whole lot of scriptures. But before we do that, let me just uh, read through with you. Uh, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well uh, in Psycho, I think it is. Um, if we can just read this together now. He had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son. Joseph, sorry, his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was, interesting, isn't it, from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. He'd been walking from about uh, 6 o'clock to 12 o'clock, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? He was thirsty. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life and so there's that scripture that referring to Jesus being uh, physically thirsty but more than that he's referring to a quenching of a thirst which is to do with the living water and there, there are a number of scriptures Psalm 42 it's a, we sing it as a psalm as the deer pants for water so my soul longs after you my soul thirsts for God for the living God when can I go and meet with God? By the way, that's a psalm about depression. I don't know if you know that. Psalm 42 and 43 are psalms about depression. And so interesting, isn't it? Uh, psalm 63, again, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul longs for you or thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and a weary land where there's no water. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods with singing my mouth will praise you. And then finally, Isaiah 55. Isaiah seems to have featured quite a bit, hasn't it? Come, all you who are thirsty and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on, on, on what is not bread and your labor and what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fame. And then finally, John 7. Uh, verse 37, which is a, a feast day, and Jesus cried out on that day, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
So a lot of scriptures that talk about a thirst and coming to him to satisfy that thirst. We all know about a physical thirst. We know what it is to be physically thirsty, don't we? It, it was um, some time ago we were cli climbing up um, Table Mountain, going up Skeleton Pass, and quite steep, it was hot, uh, we were um, puffing away and uh, walking along a ridge and down in the valley was the stream and it was just too enticing. It was worth scrambling through the bush down the steep slope to go and drink some of that cool, refreshing water. But that's physical thirst. What we're talking about today is a spiritual thirst. And there are two questions that I'd like to answer. Firstly, how does this thirst arise? And then secondly, how do we quench this thirst? So let's look firstly at how does this thirst arise. So God created mankind to live in dependent relationship with him. Isn't that so? Uh, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. I wonder what that was like for them. I wonder what it must have been like to know the very presence of God. How would they have felt while they were with him? And every need of theirs was seen to. I think they would have known, because of the presence of God, they would have known his absolute, unfailing, perfect love and his constant pressure, uh, presence. And I think they would have had a, a sense of real safety, wouldn't they? Just being content. If you like, they would have had a security. At that stage, of course, they hadn't sinned, so there was no guilt, no shame. But also, Adam and Eve would have known that they were made in the very image of God. That next scripture. Thanks, Natasha. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Every part of creation, at the end of that phrase, said it was good, it was good, it was good. When uh, God created mankind, he said it was very good. And Adam and Eve would have known something of the magnificence and the glory of God himself. And so they would have had a real sense of worth. Does that make sense? And then the interesting thing, while they lived in the presence of God and they lived knowing his love and they would have known their worth, God gave them a job to do. Isn't that interesting? He could have just provided everything, but he gave them a job. We read again in Genesis, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. It's the one commandment that we have obeyed. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Why did our father do that for Adam and Eve when he could have provided every single need that they had? Why did he do that? And I think he, he did it because he gave us mankind a purpose. There was some reason and some job that we had to do. And so that's how God created us with those three attributes. Security, self-worth and significance if you like, the three S's. And then God and Eve, uh, God, uh, Adam and Eve rather 
They were told they can eat of any tree except the one, unlike what Satan had said, they can't eat of any tree, but they could eat of any tree, and they decided to believe the lie of the devil that somehow God was holding back on them. God was trying to cheat them of something, and they decided to believe the lie and eat of the fruit that they were forbidden, and as a result, God kicked them out the garden, separated them from himself. I'm giving you a precede version. You know the story. And you see, that is where we find ourselves today, outside the garden, separated to some degree from God in this world of sin and living with the consequences of our own sin and the sin of other people. And we see and experience those consequences. And so, instead of enjoying the limitless, unconditional love of God, at best, we've experienced the conditional love of our parents, maybe, who are not God, so they do fail, and we've experienced maybe a conditional love. But more than that, many of us have experienced the opposite. We've experienced abuse, neglect, uh, rejection in the sinful world. And as a result, instead of having the security that God created us to have, they were left with a sense of insecurity. That's where we find ourselves, folks, the sense of insecurity. And there's this longing that we have to go back to how God created us, that we would belong, that we would be in his family, in his fold, completely accepted, never separated, from each other or from God. More than that, instead of knowing their immense worth, they would have suffered from the guilt and the shame of their own sin. Isn't that so? But more than that, they and we experience the value system of the world that says you're only valuable if you're rich, if you're good looking, if you can kick a football, if you drive a fancy car. Does that make sense? And all of us use that criteria to value ourselves. And we end up, rather than having a sense of worth, we end up with a sense of inferiority. That's what psychologists tell us, that every single one of us suffer to some degree from inferiority. We have that sense of inadequacy. And as a result, people long, we long for that sense of value to see ourselves as someone who is immensely valuable. And then finally, instead of knowing God's purpose and a, de a deep sense of meaningfulness, what we experience is a sense of meaninglessness. I remember a friend of mine who left Zimbabwe, went um, to Australia, and he was living in a big city, and he made the comment, he said, you know, I, I, I commute to work every day, and he says there's just thousands of people around. He said, if I fell down dead, I don't think anyone would notice. I think they'd just step over my body. And what he was saying is my life counts for nothing. What am I doing here? You, you might know that, that saying that says, I dig a ditch to earn the money, to buy the food, to get the strength, to dig a ditch. Is that right? And you know, what's life about? And you see, we long to make an impact. We long for our, 
for our lives to count for something. Isn't that so? So, where we were created to have these attributes of security, worth, and purpose, we now have these deep longings and unfulfilled needs. There's a gap between what God created us to have and what we experience. And that's the vacuum in our hearts. That's that hollow core that cries out to be satisfied. That is the thirst that the Bible talks about. Psychologists talk about the pain in our hearts. And there's no greater pain in the human heart than the pain of empty spirit. We feel empty, worthless, unloved, useless. We are thirsty people. And you see, we deal with that thirst, we deal with that pain in different ways. And one of the ways that we deal with it is to kind of busy ourselves. We're we, we just busy, 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 so we can't stop and feel that pain. Does that ring a bell? Or we fill our lives with noise, with our phone or uh, a movie or whatever it is. It's just constant noise because we don't want to be quiet and realize that pain within inside of ourselves. The other thing that we do about that pain is we anesthetize it with substances or activities. So uh, drink and drugs and sex and food and sugar and exercise and, and we could go on and on. All those things that will somehow there to try and anesthetize that pain that we feel in our heart. But the main thing we do is we try to meet those deep needs ourselves. As though that's, that need within us cries out to be met it motivates us to try and do something about it. But there's this commitment within us to try and live our lives independent from God. Because to live dependent makes us feel very vulnerable, doesn't it? And there's a, a great scripture. It's in Jeremiah 2, verse 13 and 14. It talks about idolatry to begin with, which is interesting because idolatry is placing, replacing God with something else. This is what we do. And he says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Isn't that interesting? You see, we look for ways to fill the gap. We look for ways to try and quench that thirst. Ways that will avoid us having to depend on God himself. So we look for security. Where do we look for security? We could do this interactively, but it might take a bit too long. But, you know, we, we look for security in money, don't we? Or possessions, or in relationships, even in marriage. There's nothing wrong with marriage. It's God's institution. But when we depend on it to give us that security, it's dangerous. We're making an idol of that thing. And we look for worth, of course, in the things of the world. You know, the four Bs, brains, bucks, beauty, and brawn. Uh, that's just some of the things that we look to. Isn't that so? Isn't that what the world uses to give value to people? Isn't that so? And we buy into that, and then we compare ourselves to everybody else. 
And you know, if I've got lots of money and I drive a flashy car and I'm a very talented sports person and I've got letters behind my name, well, maybe I'll do all right. Maybe I'll fill the gap for a while. But most of us compare ourselves negatively. And we do have a little bit of money, but we know someone who's got more. And we do have some intelligence, but we know someone who's got more. We, do, we can cook a, kick a ball to some degree, but not as good as so-and-so. Does that make sense? We end up with a sense of inferiority. And that's painful. And we try to find significance through making an impact, but really it's an impact in the eyes of people, even in the church. Isn't that so? Look what I'm doing. We long to make an impact, but we're looking in the wrong places. So there are two things that happen when we try to meet our need our own way, independent from God. The first thing is this, is we become demanding. You see, if I depend on my wife for that love that I so desperately need, I'm going to demand it of her. You better come through for me because I've got this hole in my heart and you're going to fill it for me. Does that make sense? That's the root of codependency. It was Larry Crabb who said, you know, a lot of relationships are... Uh, parasitic like a tick on a dog it's just taking 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 and some relationships look very close but they're just taking relationships and then he says that some relationships a codependent relationship is even worse he says there's two ticks but no dog <laughs> and you see that describes a codependent relationship it's actually very common and a couple that look very close and they say, I love my spouse. Actually, it's not that they love their spouse, they need their spouse. And that spouse better come through for them. So we become demanding. We even become demanding of God. And of course, we can misunderstand this because we pray prayers and what we're saying is, God, you've got to organize my circumstance so I'm secure. You've got to organize that job so I can be someone in this, this community. Does that make sense? I become demanding of God. I can remember through our times in Zimbabwe when, uh, I won't go through the history, but, but, but praying and, and, and believing God because I, I wanted us to have a government that could rule Zimbabwe. Why? Because it would give me security. And when he didn't do that, I said, Lord, what are you doing? Why don't you do something? He said, I am doing something. I'm doing something in you. I want you to know that you can have security in the midst of turmoil. That's the kind of security he wants us to have, isn't that so? And then the second thing that happens when we use these strategies to have our needs met, that is that they don't work. <laughs> Simple as that. So you can have a good marriage and it's there and you meet some of the need for a while and it's okay, it's good, but after a while, it runs dry. That's what that scripture says. We dig our own wells, broken wells that leak. So yeah, it works for a while. The money gives us security for now, but it runs out. We, 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 we get that qualification and we feel good about ourselves for now, but it runs out. Does that make sense? It just doesn't work. Those are cracked cisterns. They leak. 
And as a result, we will experience anger and anxiety and depression and guilt and all of those negative emotions. I'm not putting all of that because that's, that's simplifying it far too much. Come on Tuesday, we'll talk more about those things. Um, but a lot of it is to do with this area where as thirsty people we have devised strategies to try and meet our own needs and when they don't work those are the kind of experiences that we have those negative emotions the negative emotions are not wrong in themselves they're really clues to say there's something going on inside of us have a look at it and of course that we read that earlier this teaching is illustrated in Jesus encounter with a Samaritan woman Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, you know, you can drink the water of this world, and yeah, it'll quench your thirst for now, but you'll get thirsty again. Isn't that right? Isn't that what he's saying? You can look to the things of this world, you can look to other people, and yeah, you'll quench your thirst for now, but it doesn't satisfy at the end of the day. You'll end up thirsty it's so interesting that story goes on and remember uh, Jesus says to the, the woman she says something about her husband uh, or Jesus says go and call your husband she says I, I don't have a husband and Jesus said yeah you're right you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband he, six men what was that woman doing she was trying to meet a need she was a thirsty woman craving love does that make sense? Nothing wrong with that. She was created to be loved. But she was looking in the wrong place to satisfy that thirst. Try one man, works for a while, then doesn't get rid of him. Try this one, works for a while, get rid of and so on. And we do the same thing, folks. We, we have our own strategies, our own ways of trying to meet those needs. For uh, when um, Johannes and Ellie were in Harare, I was pastor of a church called Northside Community Church. And I had developed a, an unconscious strategy. And my strategy was to keep everybody happy. And if you have a church of 600 people, you know that that's impossible. Uh, but I worked very hard. I didn't realize what I was doing. I was trying to be a good pastor. But I was running around running myself ragged trying to meet the need of every person in that congregation because that was what I wanted to do. Why was I doing that? Why was I doing that? I was trying to meet my need. So it looked good, me trying to be a good pastor, but actually I was trying to meet the need for acceptance, for approval. Don't whatever you do get someone's disapproval. That was too much. And two things happened. One, I got myself totally burnt out. We were talking about the symptoms of burnout in the course uh, yesterday, I think it was. And I got myself completely burnt out. It, uh, it was ridiculous, you know. When, when a people person doesn't want to see people, you know there's a problem. Um, and that's where I got myself to. The end of myself. The second thing that happened is that uh, my wife, had enough of it and she looks you know gentle but let me tell you she's quite a tough cooking and she said to me and she meant it she said you better make up your mind whether you're married to me or the church 
You see, because what would happen is we'd make a plan, we would talk about what we were going to do as a family, and then someone would call. Someone would need something, and I would drop all these plans because I could not displease somebody. I so desperately needed their acceptance and their approval. And so, obviously, our marriage was in trouble. And that's quite tricky for a pastor. And so, we took a break. We went off on sabbatical, and that was the beginning of learning these things. And I began to realize that my behavior was a strategy I was a thirsty person. I am a thirsty person. I have this deep longing to know that I'm loved, to know that I'm a worthwhile person, to know that my life can make a difference in this world. But I was going about that my way. Rather than just trusting God, the source, I had developed my own strategies and hence the problems. And so how do we get out of this? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is to acknowledge that thirst, to acknowledge what I'm doing. I, the thirst is there to acknowledge my strategy. This is what I'm doing, Lord, and, and, and see it for what it is. It is idolatry. That's what that Jeremiah 2 says, verse 11. It's, it's idolatry. I'm trying to replace God. I don't want to live in a vulnerable place where I'm just dependent on Him. So what we need to do is do what Jesus said on that last day of the feast. Jesus stood in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Fantastic invitation. You thirsty? You thirsty for love? You thirsty for belonging? You thirsty for acceptance? You thirsty to be worthwhile? You thirsty for your life to have an impact? Jesus says, come to me. And I'll give you something to drink. So we need to acknowledge our thirst, um, but also to repent of that idolatry and depending on things other than God. And then to come to him and to receive from him. And I can't take too much time to talk about this, but how do we do that? How do we receive? How do we drink from the Lord? And I want to suggest very quickly the way that we receive from the Lord is to take the scriptures and to personalize them. To make them your own. In other words, and these are, you need to, to spend some time with the Lord, meditate on these things, but God so loved the world. Isn't that so? But what I would do, and I do do, and I say, God so loved Ian, me. Thank you, Lord. I'm receiving that for myself. I'm drinking that in. I'm a thirsty person. And I might displease every person in the church, but if I know that I'm drinking from you, I am loved. I belong. That's a decision, but it's a process. It's a drinking from him. Lord, I want to know just how, how loved I am. You can use a multiple, a multiple of scriptures. Psalm 103 is so special to me. Uh, Praise the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all Ian's sins. Wow, thank you, Lord. I've done my own thing. I've tried to make my life work apart from you. I've tried to be independent of you. Forgive me, Lord. And I've done a whole lot of other things which I'm ashamed of. But thank you, Lord. You forgive all Ian's sins. You heal all my diseases, including this cold that I have at the moment. You redeem Ian's life from the pit. Isn't that amazing? You crown Ian 
with love and compassion. Isn't that amazing? Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. You crown me. That's my crown. That unfailing love of Jesus. Fill me up, Lord. Fill me up. It's the only thing that's going to fill me up. The Lord is compassionate to Ian. Wow. Thank you, Lord. He's so gracious to Ian. Fortunately, he's slow to anger towards Ian. And he is abounding in love towards Ian and in faithfulness. And Psalm 139, we know that. Uh, for you know that it was not, sorry, uh, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's Psalm 139. And you see, sometimes we, we, you know, we complain about how we built. I, I have sh legs that are only just long enough to reach the ground. <clears throat> but you see, God made me fearfully and wonderfully, and I, have to, I appropriate that to myself. And I might have no money, no vehicle, no home, uh, and all those things that people use to give value to people. It doesn't matter. God made me like he wanted me to be. He made me exactly as he wanted me to be. And he made you the same. And I don't need to appropriate that for myself. And one of the scriptures which is, to me is so special, that one he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed or bought from the empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ. I just think it's just incredible, folks, that, that God would take the most precious thing that he had and use that as currency to purchase me. That's how valuable I am. That's how valuable you are. And I need to come to that place and say, Lord, I want a drink of you. I want a drink of you. I need to receive from you. I need to know that I am worthwhile. I am valuable. If every single person, you see, as a people pleaser, I've had to learn to put in boundaries. I've had to learn to say no to people. And people get upset with that. They don't understand it. But I say my, my, my value doesn't come from that. My value comes from the Lord. I'm receiving that, Lord. I want to be filled with the sense of value that you give me. And then what about purpose? We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I, I just love that verse. I am, Ian, is God's handiwork. He is created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared at the beginning of time. So when he made Ian with his short legs and whatever, whatever, and uh, he said, I'm going to make him like this and this and this and this because I want him to do A, B, C, D. And he's going to do it for me. I have a, a lovely brother. He lives in South Africa. And uh, there's times when he would say, you know, Ian, what are you doing in that country? You know, you've, you've helped enough people. Now, you know, go and get a real job kind of thing. He would say, <laughs> earn some money. Do a real job. And, and it can be challenging. And I look at it and I think, wow, you know. Is that really? Am I wasting my life? And I have to come back to him and say, Lord, I'm a thirsty person. I, I, I need my life. You created me to have an impact in this world. That's how you created me. And so I need to come to you and say, Lord, what were those works that you created at the beginning for me to do? My brother might not see that. He doesn't really, or I think he does to some degree. No one might see that, but you see it, Lord. You see it. I want to do what I need to do to please you.
and I need to drink that in. God created us to have security, self-worth, and significance. Because of our desire to be independent, we develop strategies that try to have those needs met apart from Him, and it doesn't work. And so we need to acknowledge that, repent of our sin, come to Him and say, Lord, I want to drink of you. As you say, all you who are thirsty, come to you and drink. And that's a process. And as we do that, just one scripture that I want to, to read, and I, I think it's so significant. Um, Paul prays for the Ephesians, says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. What do you need power for? To grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. You see, if I'm to drink of these things, I need a, an experience of God. We know these things. We know that God loves us, don't we? We know them in our head. But we need to know them in our heart. And that takes an act of the Holy Spirit. That takes a real move of His Spirit so He can take what I know academically and into my heart and fill my soul so that I am filled. That vacuum is filled. I'm going to pray, um, but be, uh, we're going to move on to, Cape, to communion. I think um, Johannes is going to lead us in communion. But I, I want to encourage us that as we come to the Lord uh, to receive the emblems, that you remember what he's saying to you. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And as you receive those emblems, receive from the Lord what you need. Now, it's not going to all happen today this service it's an ongoing thing but just at this communion start that process will you let's pray father god we thank you that you are our father and you know us intimately thank you that you made us you created us to enjoy your unfailing unconditional love limitless love thank you lord that you made us to reflect your glory to be worthwhile people that were are so worthwhile to you so precious to you that you would sacrifice your own son the lord jesus that's how valuable we are and lord that we would know the purpose for which you created us and that lord as you cry out anyone who is thirsty let him come to you lord jesus and drink help us to do that we pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.